Good morning. It's good to be here with you and to have a little bit of rain. I will admit that when I opened the lectionary to check out the readings for this week, I thought, oh great, this parable, the one that has challenged me since my very first Bible study, the one that when I hear it is coming up in, our, in, in the gospel, I sit on the edge of my pew with hopes that this preacher might open it up for me. The one in which every commentary seems to have some acknowledgement of the seeming impossibility of ever coming to an agreed understanding, or just flat out says, if you're preaching this week, maybe go to uh, the Old Testament or the Epistle. Yes, our gospel today contains that parable. And I started to wonder a little bit, was this intentionally planned for the seminarian? I thought that only happened on Trinity Sunday. Well, here we are. After praying, wrestling, and arguing with this parable over the week, I started to wonder if I was getting too caught up in the details of the story itself. Now, you might be asking yourself, Betsy, um, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Well, yes and no. Jesus told parables using the familiar parts of everyday life to help his listeners understand a new economy, a new way of being in God's kingdom. In this case, he uses the familiar scene of a wealthy property owner who uses a manager to manage his property and those who produce on the property. However, if we get caught up in those details, we too focus on the earthly drama rather than the reality that Jesus is calling us toward. Now, as I mentioned, Jesus doesn't make this one easy for us. We're going to have to work a little for this one. Well, let's walk through it for just a moment. When Margaret started the lesson, she did not give a title. The NRSV and some other translations like to give titles at the beginning of sections of, this, of Scripture, and this parable is titled The Parable of the Dishonest Manager. Well, now that sets us up right there that we're going to be hearing probably about a manager who is dishonest, and I get triggered by that word. Um, and then hopefully this guy's going to get what com what's coming to him, right? Well, the parable itself is pretty straightforward. A wealthy man hears that his manager is squandering his property. The Greek translation says that the manager is wasting his possessions. Without verifying the evidence, he fires the manager and asks him to turn over his books. And the manager is now in a bind. We get to observe him wrestling with this predicament. What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. What the manager lacks in strength, he certainly has in craftiness. He devises a plan to ingratiate himself to the producers by reducing their debts so they will look favor upon, favorably upon him in the future. 
not only does he ensure that the landowner gets paid, but he also makes some friends along the way. Smart move. And it works. The landowner is pleased with the manager's shrewdness. And after telling this part of the story, Jesus says, Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. What? Jesus is praising the dishonesty in Greek, adikias, unrighteous behavior? This is not where I expected this to go. Jesus likes to do this, though. He leads his listeners down an expected path, only to throw them for a loop. Remember, Jesus told parables to help listeners understand a new reality. It's just as easy for us to get caught up in this drama because it makes sense to us. We might feel frustrated that the manager didn't get what was coming to him. His scheme worked, and, well, gosh darn it, that isn't fair. (laughs) Jesus likes to make his listeners, and now us, think. Jesus explains this in Matthew 11 when he describes the purpose of the parables. When we don't get it, we're focusing on the wrong thing. Okay, back to our story. Let's see if Jesus helps us a little bit in the next verse. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Hmm. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you, Jesus, for clarifying this for me. (sighs) I needed to back away from this story a little bit to gain some more perspective. And I thought back a few weeks ago, we heard Luke 14, 7 through 14. In it, Jesus tells a parable that says, guests should not choose the place of honor at a a banquet table, but the lowest place. He then suggests that the host shouldn't invite friends, relatives, rich neighbors in order to be repaid, but should instead invite those who can never repay. In our lesson today, the manager does exactly what Jesus says not to do. He befriends the producers so that they will have, he will have a soft place to land once he, word gets out that he has been fired. And then he's commended for that behavior. And it feels like Jesus is now contradicting himself. Okay, so let's move forward a little bit in Luke to Luke 15, which in Scripture happens right before this parable, but we don't hear it in our lectionary right now. And that is the familiar parable of the parable of the lost or prodigal son. A son is welcomed back after squandering his father's inheritance. There are some similarities here with both the son and the manager squandering wealth and then being welcomed back in the end. But is this where the similarities end? 
I don't think so. I think there's a greater theme that brings these parables together. When we focus on the details, we have separate stories that focus on their own ways on status, wealth, greed, individualism, my place in society. But when we back up and focus on the larger picture, there is something else. These are all parables of broken relationships. Jesus tells the parable and then responds with an invitation into the eternal home of relationship. Wealth, status, honor, they have no place in God's kingdom. The parable of the banquet relationship, in the parable of the banquet, relationship is ignored as people take higher ranking seats and only invite those who can repay the favor. In the lost son, we have the broken relationship between a father and his two sons and the anger that brews when one misbehaves and then is welcomed back with a party. Our story today is also a parable about relationship or the lack thereof because the wealth between the wealthy landowner and the manager, the manager and the producers, and the landowner and the producers a broken trinity of sorts. There is no trust between these characters, no faith, no love. The landowner trusts his informant more than he trusts his manager. He doesn't even wait to see the books before firing him. The manager has no faith that others will help him in his time of need. Therefore, he schemes to ensure that he will not be left destitute. The producers are just happy that their debt has been reduced, not taking any time to question the motive, because why would they ever trust the manager? He doesn't even know what they owe. And do they even know the landowner? This parable, like the others, is told to be familiar to the people of Jesus' time, and it is also familiar to us in our own world. How do we fit into this broken trinity of relationships. This is the moment where we have to do the work and let this story touch our own realities. If I'm being honest with myself, I've played the part of each of these characters at one point or another. I've done it as an individual, and I've participated in it along with others. And I don't think I'm alone. Haven't we all been the landowner who trusts an informant instead of going to the real source? We've read headlines and listened to people who hold authority that lead us to believe that some people are destined to be dishonest, that skew our opinions toward those in power instead of those who are oppressed and keep us from the truth. Haven't we all been the manager? who is afraid of what we stand to lose if the systems in which we live and thrive change. We've been too ashamed to beg and afraid our sh to show our vulnerability when we are the ones who need help, even just a little bit. We devise ways to ensure that there will be a safety net 
but that doesn't really rely on having to humble ourselves. And haven't we all been the producer, the ones who don't trust someone who holds more authority, status, or wealth, because we don't have faith that they would really care about us or our needs. We've prepared for them to take advantage of us. We've chosen to produce, to work, to prove our worth. Instead of setting aside the work in order to sit with someone or open ourselves to some new and something, someone new and really getting to know them, or more importantly, allowing them to really get to know us. Yes, at some point or another, we have all been each of these characters. And in doing so, each time we choose something else, our status, our honor, our security, we choose it over relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with others. Do you notice the places where you might do similarly? Institutions, organizations, and churches play this game too. And after thinking about it, I think it's kind of appropriate that I'm preaching today. My role with you over the next year is all about strengthening and building relationships. In my role in pastoral care, I look forward to getting to know you, getting to know your hurts, getting to know your joys, and helping to figure out how St. Martin's can best support you in your journey. In my role as liaison to the Belfry, I look forward to strengthening St. Martin's relationship with the students on campus who seek a deeper relationship with God and Jesus through spiritual community. I will share their joys and challenges with you and invite you to celebrate with them. In fact, your first invitation is the Blessing of the Animals, which will be on October 6th. At the Belfry, we will be blessing animals and inviting those who are with us to celebrate with a Eucharist and a barbecue cookout. But I'll um, get those details to you. Along the way, as I engage in my work through these roles, I most look forward to building relationships with each of you. The greatest joy in my ministry is getting to know people, and letting them get to know me. And I invite you to to feel free to reach out to me through email and after services and whenever you see me. Our colleague appointed for today prays that we not be anxious about earthly things, that we love things heavenly even while we are placed among things that pass away. We pray that we hold fast to the things that endure through Jesus Christ. Those things heavenly are that of relationship, a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit, relationship with one another. Our status, our wealth, our property, all of this will pass away, but our relationships will be the true riches entrusted to us and our eternal home. So I invite you to sit with the challenges of this parable, 
Notice where in your life you can choose relationship over the earthly things that pass away. Amen.